Turn up the heat this summer. Get propane delivery straight to your door with Cinch. C-Y-N-C-H. It's easy and convenient to order, and Cinch brings the tanks to your home on your schedule. Just go to Cinch.com. That's C-Y-N-C-H.com. Select your delivery date and drop-off location, and Cinch handles the rest. Now, new customers can get their first propane tank exchange for just $10 when they use promo code TANK10 at checkout. Cinch. Propane grill tank home delivery. Limited time offer. Restrictions apply. Visit C-Y-N-C-H.com At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently, so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan, so you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal Awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Ryan Ray and Ben Samuels present Bring in the Closers, a podcast on making deals and doing business. Welcome to another edition of Bring in the Closers. Ryan Ray alongside... Ben Samuels. Ben, how's it going, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Just got in town from uh, Houston yesterday. Looking forward to uh, seeing what you're going to throw at me this week. How about you? What's going on in your life? What's uh, what's new? I am been recording podcasts all day. But you know what? We have a guest coming on here in a little bit. But before, I want to ask you a question. Fresh. I've been thinking about this for about the past three minutes, so it's really good. Um, no, serious question. Um, is it just me? And if we talked about this show before, reminded, but is it just me, or is this the easiest time of year to set appointments? It, now, next week, it's it becomes almost impossible. But like this week, give or take a day or two into last week, becomes one of the easiest time of the year to set appointments, it seems like. And yeah, I, appointments, me, meetings, phone calls, I'm not talking about necessarily person to person, but just getting people, getting in front of people multiple ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most in our industry, most people have either, you know, batten down the hatches or waiting for 2020 for budget reasons, or people are you know out of the office completely. But if they're in the office, you know, in terms of workflow, yeah, there's a, there's a lot more availability for sure. I actually, I mean, that's what I was doing all day, all day today. I had uh, one, I had four meetings this morning, back to back to back to back on you know, with groups that I was trying to get in front of. And actually you and I need to talk about something offline. I may have actually found something for, for you today. So, oh, wow. Wow. Uh, so th- th- things are happening. A charity. That's good to hear. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, that kind of gets lost, I think is, is towards this time of year, we get slow because there's not a, a, enough to do, but you don't realize that when you're slow, and everyone's slow, then they have actually more time to see you than in June when everything is just going crazy. And on top of that, you got kids at school, vacation, stuff like that. So it's almost like the psychology works against you because you're like, well, there's nothing to do. It's like, well, right. So go do something. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. I mean, especially if you're talking about like the minerals and, and, and surface space, specifically in oil and gas, there, there's certainly, and actually, I guess I say that, you know, there's probably other instances, uh, you know, in markets as well, but there's definitely other you know, the other side of that coin is that there are some firms, and now this year was a little bit different in oil and gas, and so it may not be as prevalent in years past, but there's definitely an element of there's some groups that, you know, that have cash on hand that they have to spend for budget reasons, you know, to, to, and they need to get it out in the market because if, you know, a lot of funds are rolled or, or structured such as, or in, in a way that if you don't spend 
your capital budget in 2019, you're going to get a reduced capital budget in 2020. And so there's an impetus to want to spend that money so that you can keep, you know, either keep the same budget or, or increase it. And so to the degree that people like yourself, you know, you and I can be, uh, you know, be active in the market right now, there's also opportunities for, you know, the, for, you know, I just talked about uh, or talked to a firm yesterday, uh, I guess on Friday, sorry, on Friday, uh, about a 1031 deal that they're trying to put together at like the 11th hour because they have this money and they have to get it closed by, by the end of the year. And so in addition to taking more meetings and, and being more available, there's also an element of, you know, uh, being, you know, more, if you have your finger on the pulse, you can also find some deal flow that, that may kind of come your way that, that may not have otherwise. And the counter to that um, would be is that if, if you come across someone who's really slow and they're bored and they have nothing to do, now's a great time to ask them when they might be busy because their guard's a little bit down. It's a slow time of the year. They're trying to find something to talk about. Um, whereas when people are in the thick of it, they don't want to give you, well, call me back in two weeks or, or, or you know, follow up with me here because they're so busy. They don't even want to put that kind of pressure on themselves where right now it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we had our meeting last week and you know, middle of February we're supposed to have our assets coming online and this, that, the other. So it's also a great time to get you – know, I mean – you might need to wait to February to find out if they're going to execute or not, but at least to kind of get a schedule about what they think is going to happen, at least Q1 and Q2, because they, they don't, there's, there's really no pressure, it feels like. So people's, uh, they're not giving you the, the family secrets, but they will uh, correspond with you a little bit differently, it feels like to me. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of an easy way to, or I shouldn't say easy, it's an easier way to kind of get in the docket. You know, you and I talked offline last week. There was something that, that you're working on that the group basically was like, you know, come back to me at the end of June and, and let's circle up. And it's like, well, that, you know, for you and I, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't work, right? Because I'm not going to sit on an idea for six months or, or seven months, but at the same time, it's really valuable to kind of know the bandwidth, right? And so if, if they, if a group comes to you and says, yeah, well, you know, I, I've got availability now, you know, that, you know, that's one thing. If they say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, my dance card is full until, you know, third quarter 2020, you know, that, that, that allows you to kind of navigate. And so going into, you know, going into December, going into January, you can kind of get a sense of, of what these firms are looking to accomplish in Q1, Q2. And that'll allow you to, you know, to be more malleable with the market and be positioned, uh, you know, better than most. You know, the other thing to consider is, and we're not, at least I'm not in this space at all, is, uh, but if you look at the trade one phase deal that just got signed, you know, the news continues to happen regardless of what you are or are not doing. So if you were in the ag space, I'm assuming even though it's close to Christmas, um, there's probably potential deals to be had, to be made, to be negotiated, to be finding out the framework of um, as this trade deal was announced, as the farmers kind of get excited, they start thinking about, you know, buying tractor for tractor sales. I, I don't know. It's not my space. I'm kind of, you know, talking out of turn here. But you, but you can see what I'm saying. Whereas uh, OPEC announced cuts last week. So there, the, there is a sense in which the news just goes on continually. And sometimes it's relevant and sometimes it's not. But that's not you know, the news isn't necessarily concerned with Thanksgiving holiday because that's an American holiday. Now, as you get to Christmas and New Year's um, and Hanukkah, those are a little bit more global holidays, so things will slow down, but things do get announced right before them or right after them. Uh, and so there's, it's a good time to also follow the news because there is tidbits that you can go and capitalize on. And the other thing about this time of year is everyone, because they are slow, they are following the news. So at least you have something to talk about with them. Whereas in June, you know, if someone's bowed up and they don't have time to, to really get their head above water, they may be missing stories. But now you can go, you can sit down, you can talk to them, get their opinion, which is another way to get to what they think is going to happen for 2020 or the things that they're concerned about. Um, because people are kind of following the news now because they're a little bit slower. 
Yeah. And actually, this is a great conversation as kind of a lead into the guest that we're going to have today, uh, who's going to come on here in a little bit. He uh, he actually I don't, I don't know if we're going to get into it. I don't know if he's going to want to tell the story, but he has some intimate familiarity with what we're talking about right now in terms of, uh, you know, workflow and deal flow going into Q4 and ramping up into Q1. Uh, he's, he's working on something that, that he's uh, He's seeing that firsthand, and, and I've uh, you know been able to uh, to kind of uh, see that you know in tandem with him walking through this deal uh, together. I say together; it, it, it's his his deal, his baby. But I've been doing some consulting for him on it. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's an interest. It's an interesting uh, time of year right now because uh, because there's there's a lot happening, but at the same time, like you said, there, there's there's not a lot happening. It's, it's kind of it's kind of a weird dynamic of you know and, and you know business owners like you and I, you know, I, I'm not looking at you know. I'm not, you know, I've already planned for next week, right? I've already planned for next month. I, I'm looking, you know, months in advance in terms of, you know, where, where am I trying to get to and, and what's the business model that I'm trying to employ? And then you kind of zoom back into the minutia of the day to day. Okay. So I want to get here. How do I get there? And, and I think that, uh, you know, this is the time of year where it really helps to kind of, you know, leverage your network and reach out to people and talk because you know, to a degree it's weird. I mean, I wonder if you agree with this. I, I almost feel as though, People's guards are a little bit uh, down as well this time of year. I mean, they're kind of more willing to have open-ended conversations uh, about, you know, this is what we're looking to do next year because uh, it allows you kind of some freedom to, to talk about those things because they're not concrete, right? Because those plans can change. And so you can ask, you might be able to ask some questions and get answers to things that you you know normally wouldn't have. Do, uh, you know, have you had that experience as well? Yeah, that's what I was uh, saying earlier, actually, is that, you know, because they don't have anything to talk about and there is no fear of what's coming around the corner, that, that you, you, it, when you're bored, you kind of start talking about. I mean, I, I try to relate stuff to you know normal human interaction. Um, and so I was with a guy one time, and we're sitting with the client, and the food comes out, and the client's talking, and he's telling us something. And, and it wasn't like the most important thing in the world, but he was talking. You weren't sure exactly where it's going, and my guy goes to pick up his fork. I kick him on the table, and he says, "Fork back down." The guy. Continue this story. He went on, and and we got outside. I said, the reason I don't want you doing that is because when you pick up your fork, he might look at you and go, "Oh, it's time to eat," and stop saying what he's saying. So don't. And that's got nothing to do with just human how we do stuff. There's there's a signal being sent. Pick up a fork. Let me go pick up a fork and eat. So I think what you're saying is true on some level because now there's not a lot to talk about. So if you can, you're trying to find something to relate with someone. Unless you're like a engineer who just doesn't say anything. Uh, but if you're someone who likes to talk, then you'll probably have some weird in air quotes conversations because you're just you know there's no work going on and you don't have anything so i think you are likely to divulge a little bit more just because if me and you don't talk about we kind of get into some different things than we would normally so i think that's just again part of human nature so i i, I agree I, I think that's why but i'm not 100 percent sure i'm just uh, you know what i took from that is i'm just glad that i haven't gotten kicked under the table yet uh, while sitting next to you I mean, that's that's pretty good that's a win right there it's because you sit on the wrong side if you sit next to me you'd get kicked a couple of times um that's probably that's probably on purpose on my part but i mean you know <laughs> now with all that being said i have a counter for you we said for people like us it is it is great to go and to meet and to explore and stuff like that however i have been sent a couple of items that are relatively hot um, for a project overseas. And the timetable is, I'm not sure when, but it seems sooner rather than later. So all the things we said are just true. And now you find out that if, when you would execute those, because everyone doesn't work that way, it actually becomes harder to execute on, right? Because so it's, it, it's a great time of the year to go, to network, to find out. Um, but to execute, unless you've got um, 
willing people, like you were saying earlier, that, that kind of have a pressure. When I used to uh, dabble in real estate, one of the things they would say is, if a, someone wants to see your house during the week of Thanksgiving or the week before Christmas, you should show it because if they're willing to get out and go show their house or they're wanting to sell their house, they're probably willing to make a deal. Um, most people aren't willing to do that, so therefore they don't make a deal until the springtime rolls around. Um, so the, the, the reverse of what we're saying is true. The people you can get in front of, it's a great time, but a large portion of people are checking out. They're not wanting to, uh, to actually transact. They might be willing to talk to meet. So any advice on how to get people to uh, transact or meet during, uh, not, not transact or meet, but actually transact during this time of year? Because you can meet with them, but saying, hey, here's a hot button issue that we really need to get. It's time sensitive. And they're like, dude, I've got a vacation scheduled in two weeks. Uh, you know, I'd be happy to tell you everything, but actually do something. That's a little bit tougher or the pool is a little bit smaller, I should say. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think, you know, my answer to that question in, you know, in the energy market would be substantively different than my answer in real estate or, or any of these other buckets, right? I think energy operates fundamentally differently um, in terms of capital and budget and those kind of things when compared to other markets. Um, so if you're talking about energy specifically, you know, really what it comes down to is that, you know, if the answer is, you know, the, the firm has rolled up, you know, for 20, 2019 and, and they're not looking at actively pursuing deals like today, that's going to be the answer, right? There is no, there is no rebuttal to overcome that objection where there may be otherwise. So like in your, in your case in real estate, you know, if, if a buyer, you know, wants to make a deal and they put competitive terms on the table to the seller, they're probably going to be able to get a deal done irrespective of timeline, right? Whereas in energy, you know, you're really tied to the, the, you know, the yearly budget and what's actually, you know, trying to be accomplished. And so you might be beating a door down that can't get open kind of no matter how you approach it. And so it's really, it's about reading the room. Uh, it's, it's about, you know, talking to people that, that may be able, you know, so if you're talking to, you know, company X and, and their answer is, you know, we, we already spent our money for 2019. We're looking at 2020, you know, come back to me mid January. The follow up to that might be, you know, do you happen to know X, Y, or Z, at, you know, at another firm that, that may have a different, uh, you know, may have a different capital constraint or may, you know, maybe looking at this differently because to your point earlier about maybe a little bit uh, less of a Chinese wall and being able to glean more information, I might also advocate that if, you know, if a firm, doesn't want to in, um, you know, engage with a proposal, but the proposal is sound, but it just doesn't work for that time, they actually may be more willing in this time of year to give you a direct referral to another place that that can facilitate that because it's not as though they're, you know, at that in that degree, they're not competing on that deal because they don't want to do it anyways, right? And right. so they're willing to, to hand you off to somebody else in that context. And I've had that happen in, in years past where, where I was talking to somebody, it didn't work. But they just, you know, they walked me into the door somewhere else and we got it done hmm. because they because they were hungry for it. And those guys are going to be the ones that know the, the best about you know what their competitors are doing and kind of the lay of the land, right? Yeah. No. So, yeah, I think we're generally on the same page. The only thing I guess I was considering is on some of these deals, when you're talking about international stuff, it takes multiple decision makers to um, be involved. And and you got vacations, you got travel, you got stuff, and it's not vacation oh, if, in June. If there's right. Go ahead. If there's red tape that you're trying to go through and there's a bunch of bureaucracy, I can tell you unequivocally there's nothing happening. Right. You're, you're not going right. to get it done. And so like, the, the only the only way these things get done is if you're walking into this decision maker and he doesn't need buy-in from the other right. 78 partners. Right. Yeah. So absolutely. so let's kind of recap all this, make sure we're on the same page. It's a great time to get in front of people, a great to, time to fact find, to network, to hear about what's going on. However, if you need a uh, – it's a great time to find – 
uh, deals that are teed up that are easily to easy to transact on. But if you're trying to put together something that's going to take uh, cooperative effort from multiple parties, this time of year is actually probably one of the hardest times to do it, just because it, some of these deals, as you know, Ben, they're, they're, they don't you know it's it takes time, energy, and effort, and then you don't even know if it's going to be executed on right. And so um, this time of year, you go, you know what? I can go to Colorado for a few weeks and ski, or I can spend two weeks around Christmas and hope that this deal comes together. So the the, the um, it almost feels like it's more of a risk, if you will. We're in August. You're you're already in the office. You're already working hard. And so, um, so would you agree with that kind of synopsis? So it's great for a lot of things, but it actually has some huge deficits for others. But the perspective seems to be is that everything slows down. You can't do anything, and it's more about making sure that you are picking your spots and making them productive this time of year. Couldn't have said it better if I tried. Can you try? That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, no, I think it. I think at a high level, it, it's it's really about. I mean, it's what we're talking about right now. Actually, you know, if the listeners have have listened to previous podcasts, this is kind of a granular example of some of the things that we're talking about in terms of you know structuring your business to be able to take advantage of the opportunity when it comes, but not force the issue and and, and not you know not waste time or spin your wheels on things that are not fruitful. But you know, so in, at this time of year, if you're in a market. That has that has shut down, and, and, there, and there's not a lot of deal flow happening. You know, that to me would probably mean that I need to kind of fall in line with that and, and start planning for 2020, and, and and make sure. And so the other the other piece of that is you want to make sure that one you know once January second rolls around, you're ready to hit the ground running and go. As opposed to you don't want to be in a position where you're kind of walking. In, at least in my opinion, I don't want to. I should say. I, I don't want to be in a position where I'm like walking in January one and trying to figure out the landscape and trying to figure out what I'm going to be doing in Q1. Right? I want to walk into Q1 with a pretty finite idea of who I can talk to, what deals am I trying to get in front of, and 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 also, you know, taking the information that I learned in November and December and leveraging that to 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 make sure that I'm that I'm talking to the right partners. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me ask you this: January, uh, December twenty eighth. I mean, sorry, twenty seventh, twenty eighth. 29th, 30th, and 31st, right? There's 31 days in December. So uh, so let's just take off the 31st, because it's New Year's Eve. So 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th, those four days. Have you found that those four days for C-suite or higher-level executives are actually easier to get in touch with because by that point, they're tired of vacation, they want to go back to work, but they can't, so they don't want to necessarily come and meet for two hours, but an email, a text message, something that doesn't infringe on the family time will actually get some pretty good responses because they're sitting there, they've been at home for a week and a half, and they're like, they, they have that itch. Like, I need to do something. So a nice little email, not happy holidays or whatever, but email, hey, Ben, um, listen, working on you know January 2nd, January 5th, January 15th, whatever, coming to your city or, or, or whatever it might be. Have you found that you got pretty good uh feedback during that time if it's not too intrusive but just enough to let them kind of get that that itch scratched the one thing i think i would say to that is that while i while i see what what you're getting at and, and i agree to it to an extent um i, I would caution or my, my my pushback to that would be 
what you're talking about is an already established relationship yes, where yeah. you can text, text yes. the C-suite guy. The, the, that week is not the time to be trying to make a new relationship with the C-suite guy yes. and reach out <laughs> and, 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 and make contact. But if, but if you already have an established relationship and you guys are already in the fairway of trading ideas back and forth and have that communication style, absolutely. I completely agree with what you said, but those are two, that's yes. a big distinction, Th- right? thank, Yeah, thank you for clarifying that because that's what I meant, but I didn't say that. So yes, do not try to go build the relationship through that time period because then it's the opposite. It's like, dude, I'm with my family. What are you doing? You're soliciting me. Give me a break. But if you know them, you have a good relationship with them, it's like, okay, well, I've watched 14 bowl games a day. Let me respond back to this email about something, you know. And and, and that that does get missed a lot because um, if you think of kind of the, the C-suite higher manager level, they do like vacations, but they are usually highly driven, highly motivated people, which means that they can unplug, but there is a certain amount of time when they get back, they just they start feeling it. Man, I need to get back to it. Um, you know, I usually take off the last two weeks of the year, but that usually means I have to work at least half the day. I have to work at least half. Now, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, that's a little bit different, but I usually have to work at least half the day or I will just absolutely, I, 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 can't, I can't do it for that long a time. So I can take off maybe Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, but outside that, I'm, I'm usually a couple hours here, a couple hours there, checking in, sending emails, responding to stuff, you know, doing my normal, yeah. I, I just can't go that long just completely unplugged. You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I think that you and I take it for granted to a certain extent. While, while I think we're both cognizant of it, I think that we don't necessarily give as much credence to the fact that you and I absolutely love what we do. And so it energizes us. And so, like, you know, during that week, we want to be engaged and, and kind of you see what's going on and, and, and be involved in work. But, there, you know, there, there's a lot of people that kind of need that unplug and, and they, you know, may not be in, in as fortunate position as you and I are in terms of enjoying their day to day and what they're doing. And so you kind of, you know, and, and so you want to be respectful of that. Right. And, and so, you, you know, you it's, it's just about again, I said it earlier in the podcast, I mean, it's about reading the room and understanding that, you know, like you said, you know, it, it's. It, you know, it's certainly not the time to be making new contacts, but also, I mean, there's some people at the C-suite level that, that want to unplug and, and don't want to be bothered. And so, you know, if you get, you know, if you send something it, like in a normal, like in, you know, in June, if you send an email to somebody and they don't respond, you know, it's probably appropriate for you to follow up three, three days later, a week right. later, whatever, with right. a phone, phone call or email, you know, during those times, if they don't respond to you, that's your cue that, you know, it's Leave not the right time. That's and, exactly and, right. You know, yeah. Exactly right. No, yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. I think it has to be not your. Don't get your phone. Scroll through it and start an A and work your way all through Z. It's a select few of people. Um, but to the but but I guess when you're saying that um, folks who you know don't get energized by their job, one thing I would tell them is if you want to be better at your job, but you don't you're not energized. It for them the perspective is no one wants to be bugged on the holidays because I don't like my job and I don't want to be bugged. And I'm just saying that that's actually a misnomer as well because you could go the other way. December 28th, you're sitting in the office going, oh, "My job sucks." Uh, end of the year, I'm bored stiff. But you know some high level folks because you're a good salesperson. It's actually the opposite for for those people that might be in there and it might be a good chance to oper- um, to do it. So couple couple fast hitters for you is it worth sending out the merry christmas or happy hanukkah or happy new year or happy whatever um email blast just to make sure someone doesn't forget about you or does it get sent in the spam filter and you don't even think about it are you asking me or are you asking me like me as the co-host of this podcast and like giving you a more sterilized answer (laughs) i'm asking you 
So, so the way, and I think it's pretty clear for the listeners that have listened to at least at least one other podcast, because I probably am pretty consistent about this this mentality. I, you know, I don't waste bandwidth on things that are just like you know run of the mill. I'm just, I, I want to make contact for the sake of making contact. And so if the email is literally just to like ping their in- inbox and it's just happy holidays, hope you had a good year, looking forward to talking to you next year. I think that to a degree, you know, when I get those emails, they, I, I generally, I, I read them. I very rarely respond to them because I, you know, because it's obvious that I was blasted on, on a mailing list and that's not, that's not nearly as engaging or personal enough for, for me to actually want to, to spend time of my day and responding in kind, because I'm, if I'm going to respond, I'm going to really give you like a real response. That being said, you know, if, if somebody like you or, or let me actually, let me rephrase. If, if someone sends me an email and it's, clearly written just to me and it like wrapped, you know, maybe talks about something that we had previously talked about or something on the horizon. I, yeah, I, I think that's really valuable. Um, you know, if you're just going on like, you know, and for whatever it's worth, you know, for me, if you're just going on like constant contact or MailChimp and blasting out a, a, a holiday letter via email to, to all your contacts, I would save the time. I'd save the money. It's it, to me, I don't think that's worth it. Um, I, I don't know. What, yeah. what do you think? So I, I, I judge those as two things. One, you know, um, Ben Samuels, Rideway Company, sends me a Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday card, um, and I talk to Ben regularly, or I don't talk to Ben, I haven't talked to him in 15 years, and I have nothing to talk to him about, I hit delete and probably unsubscribe. Now, there is a category of people who I'm trying to get back in front of, and if they make the mistake of sending me one, I'm going to reply back because odds are no one else is. And so I will take that as an opportunity to reply back and try to get in front of someone who, for whatever reason, sent me one of them dumb cards. So I do look for those where, you know, I've been trying to get in front of Ben Samuels for six months. He sends me one out on New Year's Eve and I fire one back. Hey, man, let's 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 catch up after the new year. Because now the obligation on someone was back on Ben because he sent me the card and I responded to it. And I took the time to read it when no one else read that thing. So he actually, if he's if he's, you know, trying to market and outreach, there is actually a little bit of onus for him to now engage with me. Um, it doesn't work all the time, but I do deploy that tactic sometimes. So if it's someone I don't care about or I don't want to talk to, which would be all of my clients that I that we work for. Um, we don't send them that stuff regularly because we already talk to them regularly. And we always we tell them personally, hey, happy holidays. And so I've got a client I'm trying to get in front of. I'm not going to send him the, the Merry Christmas card because he's not looking at me like that, right? He's not looking at, oh, I need to get in front of Ryan because if he wants to get in front of Ryan, all he's got to do is answer the other emails, the other calls, the other texts, right? So I look at them from my perspective is I engage with the ones that I want to engage with. And that's because I want to get in front of those people. So use those people I can't get in front of, but they made the mistake of emailing me here. I'm going to try to capitalize on it. My clients, we already get in front of them. So there's no real reason for us to say that. We say it personally, right? The clients that we want to get in front of, they don't respond to those because they know they can get us any other time of the year. Do you see the distinction? For me, it's about how I receive them. It's only engage with the ones that I that, that could benefit me. Um, so I don't send them out because the people who want to engage with me can, and the ones that I don't necessarily want to engage with, which would not be my clients, like um, you know some random guy on my contact list that I don't hadn't talked to in four years. I don't want to send him one because then he might reach out, and it's not necessarily the time to. So I can bog myself down with those types of things as well. Um, but if I need, if, but final thing, if I need to get in front of a bunch of people, I'm trying to just generate something. I might send one out, but that's not where I'm at today. Does that make sense? And I wasn't. Nate looked at me funny. I was not saying I don't send them to my clients because I don't like them. I was trying to say I don't send them to my clients because we already talked to them. Well, it can be both those things, right? I love my clients. Every client in the history of mankind, except for you. Um, you're, no, you're 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 a client I don't wrap, like. 
<laughs> and to, to wrap this up, because uh, we've, uh, we've got our guests coming on here in, in just a minute, uh, the last thing I would say is, you know, one of the things that, you know, used to be standard practice before internet and, and all that, whatever, uh, you know, what I would do to stand out, have your assistant or, 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 or do it yourself, write the post, you know, the postcards, write the notes, because that in and of itself, it can be a huge value add. Uh, and, and that, you know, that can stand out as opposed to just, you know, because especially on those blast emails, I mean, it literally says on the bottom of the email, something on the lines of, yeah. yeah, this email was sent from cost and contact or whatever. And so like, it's clear that there wasn't much, you know, you, the, the, the client just put like everything in their CRM into the, into yeah. the system. Right. So, so and, but if you, if you write the, if you write the postcard that, you know, that comes across substantively. Different. Go into word, type up the email, copy paste. I've done that before. So it didn't have the sent from MailChimp. If you're going to do it, pick the top 15 people you want to get in front of copy, paste, put the name up there. Pop, 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 pop. Okay. Okay. Up next is the gentleman I've had the pleasure of meeting with one time and Ben has known for quite some time, Percy engineer. That is his last name engineer. I had to get that straight before we got on, who is the president CEO head dog in charge over at eight energy Inc over there in the great city of Midland, Texas. Percy, how's it going today, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, it is good to have you on the program. Now, Ben sent me a note before we came on and said that I couldn't really talk today because you and him were such good friends and he felt like I would ruin it. So I'm going to turn it over to, to Ben and let him just uh, – he says he can grill you pretty hard, so I wanted to kind of warn you. He's uh, He's got it out for you about something. I don't know. <laughs> deal that went bad or something. So – so the benefit to uh, to having this podcast, we're like 21 episodes in, is that the listeners, if you've listened to anything else, you know, if you've listened to any other episode other than this one, you know how full of it Ryan is. So I don't really need to disqualify what he just said. Uh, but no, I did want to bring Percy on here because uh, uh, you know Percy and I have known each other for, for quite some time. Uh, Percy, actually, you, um, on the on the show earlier today, Ryan and I were briefly talking about some uh, dynamics of you know kind of. How to approach our business in, you know, in the energy and, and deal making space, kind of going into December and going in, you know, going into rolling into a new year, uh, and kind of what the, that that dynamic looks like in terms of uh, you know the areas of opportunity that that may be on the table at this time of the year, uh, or it's conversely the things that aren't being done uh, you know, this time of year. And actually, you know, I mentioned uh, that, you know uh, that that you've got something going on right now that, that you obviously have intimate familiarity with, with that process. But you know, so I don't want you know if you don't want to talk about that, that deal specifically or in any specifics at all, no problem at all. But I was curious. I, I did want to throw it to you and, and just kind of see what your take on that was. You know, since you have been an independent broker in this space, you know, for as long as you have, you know, what are some of the things that you're looking at? You're kind of going into December, ramping up into a new year. You know. Is that a time that you're you that you find that you're getting a lot more done, a lot less done? Are you able to have more kind of open conversations with people, or you know, or do you find that most people have already kind of unplugged or are offline? Kind of, what are your thoughts? Kind of walking into, you know, I guess we're middle of the month, but I mean, as of you know, a month ago, kind of where was your mentality walking into Thanksgiving and and kind of going into December, and then also you know, sitting here today, kind of what what are you thinking about, or what are you what are you looking at about or looking at, I should say, going into the new year. Sure. Um, well, you know, I, th- I always think it's an interesting thing in the oil business, and I can't speak for many other industries, but, you know, once you hit that Thanksgiving break, it seems like everyone gets that holiday mindset on, especially here in Midland. I mean, most people uh, spend their holidays somewhere else, whether they're, you know, go- going somewhere skiing, going to lake, traveling for family. And so it's, it's a little bit tough as far as dealing with <clears throat> actual buyers and companies we're dealing with. Um, just that holiday mentality. Uh, you know, we used to think that people want to get a lot of things done and closed out by the end of the year, but 
especially when you're doing deals that require any level of diligence, it's hard between the brokers doing the diligence, between company men having to balance all their paperwork. I just think it's a, it's a tough time to get deals closed. Plus, you know, another factor a lot of people don't think about is you're, you start bringing in a bunch of income on a deal. <clears throat> um, you don't have a lot of time to offset your tax burden. And so some people really look to, you know, deliver. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete, bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete, bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. They closings till after the first of the year, depending if they're on the buying or selling side. Where I do think um, the end of the year comes in really handy, uh, which is what I'm doing right now, is when you're dealing with actual mineral owners and landowners. They're, they love getting those checks in time for Christmas. Um, so you tend to get a little bit better deals. People are more willing to work with you in, in November and December versus January, February. So, you know, we do a little bit on, on each end of the spectrum. I have deals that we own in hand that we're trying to sell right now. It's not not the ideal time to work those sales, but we're also buying leases and buying deals and um, dealing with landowners, and it's a great time. So, so it keeps us busy during that time. Same thing happens in the summer. You know, people get summer mentality, going on vacations. It's it's a little tough to get some things done. So I really think that the you know after the first of the year till about May or June seems to for me to always be the most successful time of year to get business done. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. It kind of depends on, on what, what market or what segment of the market you're focused on. But I mean, you're absolutely right. Land, landowners and mineral owners, this is the time where, yeah, to a degree, I think it is you know, a lot easier to, to get their attention and, and to get in front of them. Um, so actually, let's, let's zoom back. I, I wanted to, uh, to kind of give, uh, give the listeners more of a full context. If you want to kind of uh, walk us through you know, um, you know, just a little bit of your history in the business and, and, and also you know, what, what you are looking at these days and kind of what you're working on. Um, it, it seems like, uh, you know, from my experience, that, that you certainly are uh, you know, focused on developing relationships with the land and mineral owners. But at the same time, you, you, you do a considerable amount of business for, for operators and, and for equity, you know, equity stakeholders as well. And so, you know, what are, what are some of the, how, how do you kind of approach this business? How have you found your niche and, and kind of where, where do you, where do you think you kind of fit into the picture? Well, you know, I've been, I've been doing this about 13 years now that I've been out in Midland as a landman. I went independent around uh, 2010 and <clears throat> I did my first gig for one of the larger public companies here in town that offered me the opportunity to go on my own. And that's where I went from being a, an in-house contractor working from an operator on that side of the spectrum to now being a broker, essentially. <clears throat> and uh, we, you know, built a team over the years. I, I found that, you know, being independent was great, but I needed some help. So within a period of, gosh, maybe a year, uh, I went from just myself to about 21 people. 
And a lot of that work was client work, you know, bill by the hour, bill by the day, <clears throat> everything from leasing to diligence, title, title curative, typically all the outsourced functions that operators do. I also was lucky enough and fortunate enough to team up with an independent geologist in town who has a great shop. And he brought me on to do his land portion of prospect generation for him. And so I got to be on the ground floor putting, putting new prospects together, like new geological prospects. And it worked out really well because we got to be there from the ground floor, put these prospects together, lease them up, put them together. And then when we would sell them, a lot of the companies that buy them were, were private equity backed companies or just with individual investors. They were small companies, typically didn't have a land department, so to speak. And so a lot of times I would come in, I would function essentially as their impromptu land manager, VP of land. Uh, some of those relationships blossomed and I actually became an equity partner in the company. Sometimes I would just do it in the meantime and then help them build a land department. But what it gave me is the opportunity to, to see something from the initial geological concept phase through leasing, through development, and also uh, through the sale after we drilled a few wells, sell it off to a public. Um, gave me a little bit of a kind of a broad understanding of wh where I fit into the, the business. And I think my niche uh, that developed was more on the planning end of leasing, not just taking leases across a broad area. You know, let's see how many leases we can get in 30,000 acres, but where are those leases? How are we putting them together? Where can we drill to maximize use of our rigs and cut down uh, the number of continuous development programs we have? And so it became a lot of managing and balancing obligations. And that really, people don't think about it, but the land department and the land man running that can really affect how much capital you're putting out. Uh, if you can hold the same number of acres drilling eight wells versus drilling 25 wells, all because you're locating the wells a few few feet this way or that way, it can make a really huge difference to your bottom line. I think that was what essentially became my specialty over the years. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that. One of the things that I've been uh, you know, consistently impressed by w when working with you is your ability to you know, synthesize a lot of information and you know you have you know while you may not have an operational expertise the boots on the ground have done that for years or whatever you certainly know the vernacular know the lingo know, know what those things take what it you know what it takes to put together a drilling program or those things you also have a, a mastery on the land and mineral and leasehold side and how to do the contracts th things and, and that piece as well while also you have the you know the fantastic relationships with the mineral landowners and so you, you kind of have you know, a, a somewhat mastery on, on kind of the full stack process. And so depending on what deal you're working with or, or on, or depending on, you know, what stakeholder equity holder you're speaking to, you can, you can you know, be in that room and be very comfortable. You know, uh, some of the deals that you and I have worked on together, you know, you've built you know, independent financial models, which is something that the, the run of the mill landman or broker head, you know, can't do or, or doesn't want to do, or doesn't have the know how to do or whatever. Well, that can be a huge value add. And so, uh, you know, is that was that I'm curious was that through technical training did you go through you know was that like schooling or did you kind of just learn from osmosis if you can kind of give us a peek behind the curtain I'd be curious kind of how you picked up the, all of those things to kind of come together because I mean I think candidly I think what you provide in the market is relatively unique that you know like I said depending on what room you're in you, you can be very comfortable in that room depending on whether it's you know operations all the way through lease acquisition so I mean how, how did you start in the business and kind of how did you get to that point? Well, you know, I, so prior to me becoming a layman, I was in the military. I did that for about 10 years and, <clears throat> excuse me. 
And one of the last gigs I had uh, for the army was in Afghanistan, in, in Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. This was back in 2005 and 2006. And I was uh, sent there and I was put in charge as what's known as the battle sergeant um, in what they call the Base Defense Operations Center. So essentially, it's like a mission control center for the northern third of Afghanistan, let's say. And, um, you know, I was, I was a pretty young guy to do something like that. But what I found was we had a bunch of moving pieces. And the, the key was how did we put all those moving pieces together where it comes to on-base assets, defensive assets, offensive assets, aircraft, airspace. How are we utilizing patrols? How are we, how are we using all of our individual pieces of technology and how do they all fit together? And that was essentially the most formal training I had in that. And it was, it was a learn by doing process, but um, I did it. I was actually fairly good at it. And I think that became kind of the stepping stone for the rest of my life on how I looked at looking at all the different pieces in an organization or a project and how they fit together. And that's essentially what I used when I had my first uh, in-house gig working here in Midland for an operator. <clears throat> I had a, a, I was given essentially a county, a whole county is Howard County and the northern part of Glasscock County. And at the time, those were, this was before the big shale push came in. We were mostly drilling vertical wells. And I, I had a pretty, pretty large number of acres I was managing, roughly, I want to say about 83,000 acres. And as a pretty green landman, I, it was just, here's the keys, make sure you're, you're handling everything. So it was, figuring out ways to look at all of our different leases, put them into prospects, managing all the different continuous development programs and obligation dates to, to keep that acreage. So had to work with the engineers, <clears throat> had to work with the regulatory people, had to create essentially my own different um, systems in place, whether it's different spreadsheets and maps and how to go from the old days of Xeroxing maps and coloring things in with, with highlighters and colored pencils to doing them on a computer, working with the GIS people and essentially figuring out ways to make very simplified systems of reporting, like a simple document you can give to the engineer or the owner of the company to see here's, here's the facts and here's, here's two or three of our options. What do you want to do? And a good friend of mine that got me in the business, uh, he always presented that to me. He said, you know, if you, when you're working with people, always present them A, B, or C, because that, that helps limit their decision-making and, and it cuts down the time to make decisions. And so using those different things over the years through the military, through working at this company, it was kind of a way of seeing how everything fit together and how to maximize the use of our resources, especially when it comes to managing 30, 40, 50 different continuous development programs on your, on your current leasehold and how to manage those rigs. And so it worked really good. You never lost a lease the entire time I was there. Um, there were a lot of close calls. There's a lot of coming in on the weekends and working. Um, being able to work your time in to get to see certain key people. And I think that's essentially how that's what was my stepping stone to when I went on my own on how I worked with a lot of these companies and how, and how I still do it. I have a few clients I work with. I don't work with, for too many clients as far as uh, people that just pay us for our time. But um, the ones that do, I always keep my own set of all their information. So I can call them any given time and say, Hey, just so you know, we've got this area, these leases are going to expire. We need to drill a well in this spot to hold this many acres. And sometimes that flips through the cracks on their end. So it becomes kind of a, a really good relationship that way when you can help, help either the companies you're working with or people you're just doing deals for, even in the past, to keep everyone on schedule and on time. Nobody wants to spend you know, $20,000, $30,000 an acre and then lose leases. So 
I think, I think the sum of all those experiences over time have kind of led me into my niche and, uh, and I enjoy it. it uh, to me, it's fairly easy, but there's a lot of moving pieces to look at. And it's, it's not for everybody, but it works for me. So let me shift gears here for a second. Um, one of the things that you mentioned is you, you've dealt with publicly traded companies, PE back firms. And one of the things that I had to learn years ago was um, a lot of the people we interacted with were kind of field office folks. And so you'd go in with blue jeans and your steel toe boots on or whatever and, you know, your fishing shirt and you'd go and talk business or whatever. That's fine. And then I rolled up into downtown Houston. And I was like, oh, oh, wait, something's changed here. And I had to kind of go through that process of learning how to uh, speak that language, you know, dress that dress, uh, kind of walk those floors, uh, and, and while being able to go and deal with the folks in the field. Uh, Midland is obviously uniquely positioned because it is um, out there right next to the field, if you will, but it does have large public traded companies and small PE back firms. Kind of walk me through um, how you've had to learn to adapt to walk into different rooms and be able to speak the language, dress the right dress. Um, was that a process you found difficult or did it come naturally because maybe Midland's a little bit better mesh of all those worlds together? Well, you know, that has always been an interesting thing out here, especially, especially when I got into being a broker for companies. Um, I tend to consider myself a little bit more of a, uh, a city folk. So I tend to dress a little bit more formal when I go to work. <clears throat> excuse me and uh but it did it did cause some issues primarily for me it was not as much dealing with the people in the field offices and at the companies i worked with it was more when i'm heading out to the field to deal with landowners or guys that actually work out in the field um then then you see you know yeah you throw on your pair of jeans i drive right you know, I drive my pickup that day you do those <laughs> kinds of things to get along no, nobody nobody wants to see a you know a guy dressed up in a in a sport coat with, you know, some loafers on showing up in a, you know, in a fancy car to, you know, meet with the landowner in the field. So there, there's definitely a lot of perception out here and, it, and it's very interesting. And, and I, I can't speak if that's the case in many other industries or not, but here I find, I've always said this, I think Ben and I have talked about this over the years. Uh, the oil business is a very emotional business. People deals happen or don't happen based on how much somebody likes you based on, what they may have heard about you through the grapevine. Uh, there's a lot of people in the business, but in a way, it's a very small world. And so there's this constant level of perception management that you need to do to make sure people see you the right way and know what you're all about. And so even when you're off the clock, there's, there's this big component of being a salesman, uh, including, like you mentioned, how you dress, how you carry yourself, how you talk. And I, and I think that I think that's really important, especially, you know, myself, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a minority when I joined um, into the land field, there, there weren't a whole lot of us then. There wasn't a lot of diversity at the time. And so, uh, you know, we, we, I often joke about my friends at one of my old companies I used to work for, everyone thought I was somebody else because they associated my name with a different person because of the way I looked. And so there's a lot of these little perceptions you have to get over and work with. But, you know, luckily over time, I like to think that with, with the changing demographic in the workplace, just in every industry, uh, we're starting to see some of those changes come about. And, you know, naturally we also change too. Hey, I wear, I wear boots every day, little things like that. And, and it really helps, helps you fit in. It helps you blend well with a lot of people. And you like to think at the end of the day, if you conduct yourself professionally, that's really all that matters. But I think you're right. There's, there's a little more to how we carry ourselves and how we appear to others to make everyone feel comfortable. You know, it's interesting to, to hear that perspective because, um, you know, if it was up to me, we'd wear Crocs and shorts and fishing shorts every day, but that's just not 
you know, that's just when I'm in my office and no clients come in, I can, I can do that. But kind of hearing your perspective kind of from being you know, a minority when it was less diverse to more diverse, um, kind of navigating those streams, um, it sounds like the one thing that, you, that you've that you done, and this is part of if you want to do sales and negotiations and things, is you want to be true to you know your personality and things like that, but you do have to make slight tweaks. One of the things I've kind of uh, tried to advise people on, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, is I, I generally like to say I want to be 80% of who I am no matter what room I'm in. So when I'm with my kids, they see us, they see what they see is a, a different 20% than when me and you are meeting. But generally, the same person is who they see. But um, obviously, I'm different. I'm a wife. That I would be someone else. So I like to use the the 80-20 rule, if you will, to say that 20% is going to be different no matter where you are. So that means if you put on a different pair of boots or you wear a different shirt or whatever, so be it. If you don't, you know, you, you're, you're a little quieter. But generally, as long as you can be the person, but it feels like people get hung up on all these other things when really just a slight tweak here or there, you can still be who you are. You can still, you know, uh, you know, hit a lot of those, those things that people like to hit. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I, I think when it comes to work, especially people that have known me for years that I've worked with uh, versus people I me now, you know, you like to think you're the same person. Uh, we've all known people in our lives that, uh, take on very different persona between their work life and their home life or, or do even different aspects of their personal life. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think, I think that can, I think that can cause people more problems in the long run. I think if you're, you know, me, I, I like to, I like to do things to help people out. Um, and I try to be the nice guy all the time. And that's essentially who I, I like to think I am. And so as long as you, you maintain that uh, persona, you know, some guys look to look like the, the tough deal makers, some guys, you know, like to look like different sort of different sort of personalities. Um, and that's not really me. I think, yeah, if you, if you just kind of be yourself who you are, I think in the long run, that really does benefit, uh, benefit everybody. Uh, and plus at the end of the day, it really comes down to then what do you know and what are you contributing? That becomes the most valuable thing. As long as you stay consistent, um, hopefully that aspect of you is what shines. Okay, well, we're going to let you go here in just a minute. Um, save the, the toughest question for last. You said you want to help people. Can you help me on how to get Ben to do anything, to make him productive, to get him to accomplish, close a deal? Um, I, I've been trying for months now, failed repeatedly. I'm willing to take the L here, but as someone who Ben looks up to openly, um, we have <laughs> listeners who might be curious about this. He, he seems to act, or, or is he paying you to act like he's better than what he is? This parse it out for us before you get off here today oh gosh you know life's all about choosing battles and uh <laughs> some, some battles you can fight and some battles you just got to step aside and just say it is what it is so, <clears throat> so that's a skill you know, negotiating right 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 <laughs> yeah, that's right that's right Percy, that was that was that was a good answer to that question. That, that was that was that was well crafted. That's how, that's how it's done. Like that that was next level. That's how he does. Like he he's if you notice what he did, he started. Oh gosh, wow! Like he was sympathizing with me. He got my guard down, and then he said, ultimately, "Hey, I'm not going to answer your question. I don't know you as well. I know Ben. Go mind your own business." But he did it in a way that softened the blow. So Percy, that was very very well very so, well done there. So Nate, can I make can I make a suggestion that when you put this thing online, can we make the title of the podcast "Perception is Reality"? Perception is reality, or Percy is reality. Mm. Oh, oh gosh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know we're getting ready up against the clock, though. For real, Ben, anything else for Percy before we let him go? Any other questions or things that you want to follow back up on? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll uh, first of all, I'll hand it off to you. I mean, if, if there's anything that you want to either promote or, or talk about on the podcast that you know that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about, I know that uh, you know you're you're in a pretty dynamic space, and like you said, I mean, you, you do a number of different things. And so, if there's something you're working on that, that you'd like to promote, or, or if there's something that you just want to plug, I mean, we'd love to give you the floor for a minute. Well, you know, I think I think the only thing I really like to I like to say that I've been, it's been coming more and more paired over these last two or three years is. Um, it seems like in our business, and I'm sure this is the case in other businesses as well, everybody's always looking to get something out of every deal, every relationship. And I think I think sometimes that's a short-sighted um, mentality. I think the thing I can I can tell if I, if I were to if I were to speak to a bunch of people that are that are in the same kind of business that we do, especially deal makers, I would say, you know, not every deal is one you have to benefit monetarily off of. Sometimes help your friends out, get connections made. And, and do things like that without expecting anything or returning, because to me, those are the ones who've always paid the biggest dividends in the future. So sometimes it's okay just to mm-hmm. help people out, work with them, give them some of your time and some of your knowledge. And you'll find that people will sometimes will do that back to you in return. And when they do, it's always worth more than the time you put into it. Yeah. You know, first, it's interesting you say that I had a conversation with somebody um, earlier this week, and we were talking about how often you know, deals don't come together or there's really no substantive conversations where, you know, where there should be simply because somebody, you know, one side or the other on of the table doesn't want to, you know, open their cards and show, you know, and actually have an honest conversation of back and forth. And it's very much, you know, oh, I'm not going to tell you what I've got going on, but I want you to tell me everything that you you have happening so I can kind of, you know, poke, poke my finger in what you have, but, but, you know, what I've got is going to be behind closed doors. And I think the, you know, one of the reasons that you and I have connected so well over the years as we have is that we both see that situation just like you outlined. It's, you know, why, you know, if we're going to have a conversation, we're going to sit down and work together. Let's let's kind of open the cards, talk about openly what we're doing and how we can benefit. And to your point, you know, that may be monetary. It may be relationship built. It may be, you know, that, you know, someone that I don't, but I'm trying to get in front of them. And so by you know consulting on a deal, you know, my my quote unquote pay is going to be the introduction that I'm looking for. And so, yeah, I, I love that you know, dynamic of just being able to kind of play ball more openly um, and being willing to find the win wherever it is, as opposed to being strict about okay, if I'm getting on, if I'm getting a deal, I need a six percent pay on um, your cut, and if I'm getting four percent, I'm not going to do it, sort of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think uh, I think we see so many deals fall apart over those those small details, and and it doesn't really need to be that way. Um, I, I feel like the people that helped over the years get deals done, and I may not have made a percentage or made it, or had a real role to play. Um, it's it's worked out well because those people remember you, they work with you in the future, they bring you things. And I like to think sometimes the long term will pay out greater than the short term. You know, one of the things, and before the two of Percy, I wanted to point out was we had a guest on a few weeks ago and he talked about the, the Lamborghini. And if you go back and listen, listeners, you can catch that. Ben, one of the things I wanted to point out while Percy's still in line here, the thing that stood out to me most about all the things he said, if you remember, go back to his first answer, he said, out here in Midland, and if you've keyed in to what Percy said repeatedly, it's out here in Midland, out here in Midland, this industry. I don't know about other industries. And one of the things that's been um, that, that's ring true is that he's really spent time thinking through the farmers, the big companies, Midland culture, uh, the change in demographics. It's very niche, and that's probably given him an advantage instead of being concerned about what happens in Houston. Because the question I asked was more general, and he brought it back to Midland, and it sounds like, and I don't, I don't want to expound on it as you do, but it sounds like his business is Midland focused, and so he really has spent a lot of time honing in on 
what actually happens in Midland, and that's really the most inf- uh, relevant information for him to transact on a deal. Uh, Percy, did I mischaracterize you anyway? Because that's that's been very helpful. Because as I think about doing deal with South Africa or China or wherever, I'm a little bit more all over the place. But those same things are true because how I talk and how we transact in South Africa is fundamentally different than you do in Midland. But it feels like you've really tried to master the art of doing deals in Midland. Absolutely. I mean, I've done a little bit of work in various places around the country over the years, but I can't say that I I really have a feel for the culture there. And I really think. I think culture is everything in business. I think so many things happen and don't happen because of that. Uh, I know this area. I know this area fairly well, and I know a lot of people in this area. And I think that's what's benefited me. And so I always seem to bring it back to that because this this is my bread and butter out here, and right. I think it'll continue to be so. And so I think that's I think that's good to focus on what we know and expand on that versus uh, maybe sometimes trying to trying to spread ourselves a little too thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, to uh, to that point, uh, just to, uh, to interject here, um, you know, for the listeners that are watching the video feed of this, you'll, you'll see that I'm in a you know pretty casual gray sweatshirt with, with a hood, uh, and, and I took four meetings this morning, all with C-suite level people, and I I don't think I I don't think I underdressed anybody. I think everybody was like kind of in this semi you know this kind of garb, and so you know again, you know, to Percy's point, and you know, similarly to me, you know the the vast majority. I mean, I had took a couple of contract jobs outside of Midland, but the vast majority of my business uh, in terms of the energy space is in Midland. So similarly, I've taken you're taking the time to to figure out that that, that dynamic because you know, what I'm wearing right now. There's no way I'd walk into basically any office in Houston or Dallas no, like this. Not a single office. You know, I, I, would, no. I would I would have to have a, a, at least a minimum you know button down in slacks. And you know, um, so I'm, I'm wearing this sweatshirt and I've got and I've got jeans and casual boots on, and that's you know more than appropriate out here, but it wouldn't be elsewhere. And, and so yeah, I mean you know it really depends on your environment. Um, you know, out here in Midland, even more so you know than who you're meeting with. It, you know, it's you got to kind of play the part. And and Percy, without getting uh, you know personal or kind of steering the conversation in, in a you know d- down a rabbit hole, you know, I think one of the other things that you and I share and that we address is you know. And I think you said it for uh, you know, uh, briefly. You know the way that we, you know, you and I look is relatively similar, and it's a little bit of a different look than, than you see out here in Midland. And so that was, you know, for me at least, coming into Midland, that was, you know, one more hurdle that I needed to to make sure that I was kind of jiving with, uh, you know, with the mentality out here because, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to wear, you know, a suit, and, you know, a Rolex, and you know, a but, you know, three piece suit out here, uh, you know, because that would. In addition to that dynamic, you know, the, I think the way that I look is, um, would also, you know, kind of emphasize that in a negative way. Does that, does that, does that drive with your experience? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I remember when I came to town, uh, for, to interview for my first job, I, I naturally, I wore a suit and I was sitting with the office manager and she was interviewing me and, uh, and the owner of the company ran in a little bit, uh, a little bit, um, concerned. And after a minute, he said, "Oh my gosh!" She goes, "Oh, you're here interviewing." I, th- I thought I thought we were being served. Some attorney coming from out of town. And he's like, "He's like, people don't wear don't wear suits around here." And right. So I, I learned that one pretty quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think that also takes. Um, you know, I'm all a big fan of be who you are, and, yeah. and part of that is how you dress, how you look, how you carry yourself, your humor, your music, everything. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you also have to adapt to your situation. And I had to adapt quite a bit. And, you know, I was, I was in my mid twenties when I came out here. So we're still learning and growing as a person. Here I am a four years old. I'm, I'm a very different person than I was back then. A lot of it is a result of the local culture. 
that that I am finding out who I am as we grow. And so there, you know, there's a lot of those little those little things that can make a big difference to people, especially when you're in a place that's slightly smaller and people maybe aren't used to that much uh, diversity of not just of race or ethnicity, but things like uh, things like just hobbies, mindset, mentality, just different things mm-hmm. like that. So I think you always just got to be aware of that. And especially in the business world, you have to, you know, know your audience and, you know, be, be yourself, but at the same time, don't make people uncomfortable. Okay. Well, Percy, thank you so much. I've got to meet you once, I believe, maybe twice. Once I know for sure it was a pleasure. You did have a nice office there and you did dress nice. So all those things are true about you. Um, thank you. We will hold it against you that you consider, you didn't say you considered being enough for now. Think about it. So we won't hold that against you. Um, thank you for coming on the show. Um, and we'll hope we get you on again in the future if you still talk to Ben. And uh, hope you get have a great Christmas, Hanukkah, Festivus, New Year's, wherever it is uh, that you celebrate this time of year. And we will hopefully talk to him again next year. That sounds great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Have a great holiday. You too. Hey, for- All right, Ben, that is it for Percy. Final things I will say, we go up against the clock, is that his his repeated focus, you can just tell by everything he says, is surrounded by the Midland culture. And if you're going, well, I'm not in Midland, that's not relevant. No, it's actually more relevant because you heard how much that plays into him. And as Ben and him talked about, they do, uh, they're, okay, I am a white guy with brown hair or black hair, brown eyes. You know, I look like most of people in Midland, Texas, per se, or especially Louisiana, where I come from. Um, ben and Percy don't fit that demographic. Um, so for them, there is different things that they had to come to. Two things that were encouraging. One, it wasn't used as something to get angry at everyone about. It was just viewed as, I have to overcome this. I have to figure out how to work within this. Uh, and you still can be successful in it. But that requires that you actually focus on what is important. And when you talk about international business, Ben, I can tell you that is like the top thing. It's building relationships, understanding culture, getting involved. Um, it's not pick up the phone. Ben Samuels, we see him on Tuesday. Yes, you will. Let's go close the deal. It is a very long process, so you really have to tune into that. So it was really refreshing to hear someone who was really focused on what they did. And it might have almost, if you're not paying attention, it sounds like, well, I don't know much. It's actually he knows a lot um, because it's really focused on one thing, which is uh, makes him probably good at what he does. Yeah, I mean, I think really what Percy just did is he we talked for about 30 minutes and, and we kind of cleanly kind of rolled a bunch of the things that you and I have talked about at length on the, on the various, on the previous podcasts, kind of, you know, in a, in a half an hour. I mean, we, we talked about the, the forethought of who you're meeting with and, and what the dynamic is and, and kind of how to present yourself, how to communicate, how to network, all, I mean, all, all those things. So no, I think today was really valuable to kind of crystallize some of those things. And like you said, I mean, yeah, that was, it was Midland specific in terms of his specific advice, but you can extrapolate that into other markets um, and you know, you know, it's it's the same language, right? And especially, I think it's also valuable. You know, someone like yourself, who, who's out in uh, you know the Dallas area, or someone that you know that's not out here in Midland. If you want to do business out here, you know, you can't get off the plane in a suit. You, you, and so, you know, even if you're not out here, it's it's valuable to kind of know what you're stepping into if you do happen to venture out here to close a deal or talk to a, a partner or, or what have you. So final takeaway is know your area, your demographics, like Percy knows his, and you will be on the way to success in 2020. Ben Samuels, I hope you have a great Happy New Year, Hanukkah, Festivus. We need to do Festivus. I feel like that would be good. I've got a lot of things I need to get out with you, so we need to have that, um, the feet of strength and all that stuff. So let's get that done. Happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, New Year's. We will be back next year. Ben will might close the deal. 
That would be good. You took 2019 off. I'm hoping you bounce back in 2020. So listeners, we will talk to you then. And that's it. At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan. So you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device acquired. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Here's to getting back together. To planned lunches and unplanned cookouts to grandma's recipes and smells that take us back, to passing down plates and traditions. Here's to warm embraces and familiar faces, to your best friends becoming best friends, to scheming, dreaming, and food still steaming. Here's to laughter and love, to growing closer than ever. For all of life's get-togethers, Chinette, here's to us.